Hello, I'm Paula Fanous and welcome to Formidables, a podcast series speaking from the heart of Western Sydney. In this podcast, I'll introduce you to amazing artists, young and old, who share with us about their creative careers. We are broadcasting from Darug country, so we pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Uh, welcome Pepper, welcome Eliza. Hi. <laughs> Could you please tell everyone your name, your art form, and just a little snapshot of your journey so far? So we'll begin with you, Pepper. Hi, Paula. Uh, great to be with you today and with Eliza. Uh, my name is Pepper Molina. I'm based in Western Sydney. Um, I'm a first generation um, Spanish Australian flamenco dancer, choreographer, and producer. I've been based in Spain for uh, a number of years, over 20 years, and recently returned to Australia almost seven years ago and based myself here in Western Sydney. I was born in Sydney, um, raised by my parents who are from the south of Spain, from Granada, a city where, where flamenco is actually from. I came to flamenco from a very young age. Um, my grandmother did some dancing in her younger years and when I met her when in our travels to Granada when I was very young she I think instilled that that love of the art form and of dance in me as well as an uncle that was a, a aficionado flamenco singer that means non-professional I think they they sort of planted that seed in me on the various times as a, a very young child we travelled to Granada to to have some time with our family, as migrants always do. <laughs> what a beautiful snapshot! I think um, it's difficult for me to even imagine a twenty plus year in the arts because I've only been creating for about five years. So I'm going to have lots of questions uh, about that for you, Pepper. Um, Eliza, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, um, I'm Eliza Cooper. I'm um, a young artist, I would say I'm 22. Um, I'm really new to flamenco. I'm a contemporary dancer mostly and and also do some ballet professionally too, but mostly contemporary. My great-grandparents were born in Malta and um, even though it's not Spain, of course, I guess I've always felt really uh, connected and wanted to do something from the Mediterranean or from Southern Europe. Um, and flamenco seemed like the, the most obvious thing for me. And I just sort of fell in love with it. Actually, after seeing a duet from Pepper's school perform at Sharp Short Dance, which is a form pro, um, dance projects event that I did uh, two years ago. And that's actually the, f the first time I saw flamenco live, kind of live. It was on the screen of the dressing room that I was in. Um, but that's sort of how it, it all sort of started, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, so I'm very new to flamenco, but I'm very I'm very interested in it. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm very new to flamenco as well. But <laughs> I am I have a, a background in poetry and writing and in performing. So for those at home who aren't really familiar with contemporary dance, what is flamenco? Well, actually, there's uh, you know through the the ages and and you know the the centuries in time, of course, there's been so many cultures that have travelled to Spain, and you know, uh, one of the the cultures that uh, really really influenced was um, 
the Arabic culture because Morocco is so close to Andalusia, the southern region of Spain, and that, that really, you know, from the 10th century, there's there's um, record that there was influence not only in the, the song but in the music. Of course, there's a very huge influence from the Sephardic culture, from the Jewish culture that also lived for so many centuries in Spain. And also in the 10th century, the, the Indian um, culture, which actually the, the gypsies who were from India travelled from India through to Egypt, hence the word gypsy, it comes from the word Egyptian, uh, to travel to Andalusia. And so that's, that's the origin of the gypsies who are also a huge um, influence in, in the flamenco form. And, of course, the, um, the folklore. There's a lot of folklore that's non-gypsy that has also influenced. I mean, there's, um, in, in the genre, there's 54 different styles, which we call palos, which have different rhythms and different emotional connotations. Wow. And a lot from very upbeat and fiesta, which is like party style, very, um, you know, celebrating the culture and also, you know, uh, to the other spectrum, which is the real deep and sorrowful side of flamenco that um, talks about death and, and sorrow and, you know. So it it's really a broad, a broad art form in that sense. It's a primitive art form that was born through, uh, firstly, the song, through the, the singing, then the guitar and then the dance. So the dance is the last one to come along, really. Um, and, and, of course, it's so rich in, in all of those cultures that have influenced it. So I think that's why it's so universal. And, you know, in 2010 um, it was named um, of... Um, uh, intangible world heritage by the UNESCO so it's up there with all, with the blues and jazz and all the other art forms and you know myself I've had the, the the privilege to to travel all over the world and and experience that the love that there is for flamenco and and all the people that actually do it everywhere in the world I mean um, the people that are responsible for programming in the theatres and the festivals take it as a serious art form, you know, which is what I'm trying to advocate for here in Australia, that, you know, flamenco needs to be right up there with any other art form because internationally it is recognised all over the world. Hmm. So flamenco to me sounds um, really special for a couple of reasons. It sounds like it's a hybrid of lots of different cultures. Uh, it sounds as though it's ancient and modern and relevant. And it also sounds like it's its own kind of language. And when I was researching, um, I found that uh, a flamenco dancer called Alice Blumenfield. I don't know if you know her. I didn't. Um, no. She said that flamenco is its own language. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, do you think that's true and how? Oh, that's a yeah, it's a great... Uh, no, I don't know Alice, but wise words because... It truly is. I think that's why um, so many different other cultures or people from different other parts of the world can really relate. There's obviously something in there in that the emotional connotation and the, the, the rawness of, of its expression. And today it's so rich not only in, in art but in technique because there's, there's technical influences from other dance styles, from other music um, not just flamenco, but yes, the tradition is unique, definitely. 
And the next question is for Eliza, given that you do lots of different types of dance. What are the differences between flamenco and all the other types of dance? What makes it special? I've been exposed to only very few genres or sort of styles of flamenco. Um, Bulerias and Sevianas with um, Pepa and... I think they're really different because they're it's it's actually so different to all the other dance styles I've learned because um, it seems that there's sort of uh, groups of movements um, that go together and then they're largely improvised or um, mixed around. It's a lot freer in some ways in the structure as in you don't necessarily make a routine. So yeah. there's a classic kind of core but then lots of room for... Um, an individual to express themselves and go left, right, and play around with it. Yeah, in the in the forms that I've done. Okay, what is Sevian? Okay, so <laughs> Pepper should explain this. Okay, Pepper. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, um, explaining when I was explaining before, I guess the influences that that we have in flamenco were well, one of them, the folklore, the rich folklore. Um, Sevianas is actually a folkloric dance from the city of Seville, so. Um, it's an it's not really really a, a palo in flamenco as we call them a genre in flamenco but we do dance it in flamenco as well so the sevillanas is a very structured um, dance that has four parts and you dance it with a partner which is one of the only um, dances that are generally danced as a duet I guess but the style then gets adapted to either Spanish dance or flamenco. It's We can stylize it in different ways. The steps are there. They're um, historic. We don't change those very much. We just make them a bit more flamenco styled. Um, and, yeah, that's that's a lot of fun. That's quite structured. But, yeah, Eliza was, was talking a lot more about the improvi- improvisational side of the Wuleria, which is one of the more upbeat, 12-beat um, rhythms that there's a, a lot of improvisation there. There's also, I mean, once you know the structure and um, how the structure works with technique, then um, it's about creating your own voice and your own style and... I guess it's really a signature, a signature palo in flamenco that, that's very, very, um, I guess it's one of the hardest really because it's in a way, I guess like in hip hop, you know, when you have those dance-offs and you're trying to do everything you can maybe in a minute. That's that's what I can compare it to. In a buleria, when you, you get your chance to go out there and dance it, you've got to say everything you want to say about your personality, your your, you know, style, your, you know, your technique. Not so much technique because it's it's about sort of being um, play, playful in a sense with, with your knowledge and, and what you know and trying to um, leave people with their mouth open. <laughs> yeah, Valerio is like a dance battle. I think it's yeah. so much like a dance battle in hip-hop. Like you have to sort of see it, I guess, to understand. But I... Um, yeah, after I saw Flamenco in the Sharpshot Dance Festival um, and, and the two girls who were, were dancing were quite young and super passionate and super fun, not that they were doing necessarily that style, but then I sort of went on a um, one of those YouTube rabbit holes where you just start watching hundreds of videos of things and found all these um, like sort of festive, like sort of street, street dancing, I guess, um, 
and it is sort of like a hip hop battle. It's really similar. It's yeah. um, everyone has an understanding of the language. Everyone they have their own knowledge of it, but they all come. People come in and taking turns and. And like Pepper was saying, personality. It's all about That's personality. Right. Yeah. And I love that it has the improvised element. That's what I think it makes it really alive. As a spoken word artist, I, I go to a poetry slam, right? And maybe there's 15 other poets competing. And the only rule is that there's three minutes and a microphone and you can do anything. And so we're all abiding by that restriction, but our personalities can really shine. Um and so some people are more quiet, some people are louder, some people speak about uh, comedic things, some people speak about really, really serious things. And I think that when you do develop a signature as an artist, and it's if it's special and new and original, uh, you actually can add something to your genre that's never been there before. And that's a very, very, um, that's a beautiful thing to do as an artist. I'd like to ask Pepper, um, you've actually been a working artist for I think 28 years it was, and you've been working internationally for longer than I've been alive. I guess I wanted to ask you, do you have any tips for longevity as an artist? Because for me, it's only been five to seven years, right? And every year I, I kind of recreate myself and expand. So I began by doing written poetry, then spoken word poetry, and then teaching, experimenting with dance and music. Just because I can only do one specific form for so long, but you've mm. managed to stay in flamenco for 25 years. And so how do you stay in love with it? And how do you make art for so long and still enjoy it? Well, I guess for me it was um, because I st there was a turning point for me because um, I majored in fine arts at National Art School here in, in Sydney, in Darlinghurst. So I was painting at the time when I was already in my early years as a flamenco dancer already starting to perform here in Sydney with Antonio Vargas. He um, had a, the flamenco school in Newtown and he was a very, very active um, flamenco artist and producer here in Sydney doing a lot of theatre work and also um, he was in that famous movie Strictly Ballroom <laughs> at the time and I guess he was he really instilled the love of the art form. I already had that love from, you know, my family, I guess, the roots, but he really made you believe that you could do anything. I left in 93 to, to go and live in Spain and that's where my international career, I guess, started. I kept on learning. The thing for me was that I left everything behind because I told my family I'd be away for a year but I, I knew that I I almost wasn't going to come back. <laughs> and um, so that it just took over my life. It, it was my passion and I really wanted to become a professional flamenco dancer and and be in a company in Spain. And once I achieved that, it was <laughs> wanting to do more and more each time and, of course, learn with different people, um, having the opportunity to dance in companies and major theatres around the world uh, alongside people who you'd, you've admired from watching on videos who suddenly, oh, my God, I'm learning with them. I actually passed an audition. I'm in their company. Things like that were just, you know, I think that feeds into you and you think, 
well, you know, that sort of dream that I had back then when I was 19 or 20, 21, I've already sort of accomplished that. Now I have to do things for myself, you know. You sort of have to feed into your soul in a different way. Um, you have to be demanding with yourself because um, the opportunities don't always come in the way that you want them to come. Suddenly there's opportunities that come that you didn't expect, but then there's others that you really have to work hard for. And there's, you know, lots of things that along the way that don't happen. I mean, you know, you might not get selected or you might not win that competition, but like we say in Spanish, no es todavía no. No is not yet, but it doesn't mean never. Mm. Uh, so you just, it's really, you have to sort of um, know that the road is not one straight narrow road or one big highway. No, there's, it's, I always say in my art form as a professional, you have to know that there's, this art form is with ups and downs and you have to be prepared for that. You have to take the highs and the lows. <laughs> and that sounds like great advice to any perhaps aspiring dancers from Western Sydney or anywhere. Um, I think it doesn't change across art forms. If you want to succeed in anything, it requires hard work, dedication, commitment, and lots of gratitude because there are moments um, that are very, very special, like special performances. Or for me, the first time um, I, I signed a book for someone and saw them smiling, like you can you can fly past those moments and never remember them or you can soak them in and cherish them for life and that's what keeps you going in in the tough months and the tough years um so i wanted to ask uh, first eliza and then pepper um what's the best thing about your job oh i don't i don't i'm not sure what the best thing is but i suppose i have some uh best memories maybe that i'll share um and I think my the thing that I that comes to mind straight away is quite a recent memory about a year ago or a year and a half ago now was my first professional contract performing with Opera Australia and it was really special to me doing an opera doing an Italian opera because my yeah my 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 great grandparents and um, grandparents have been very connected to sort of Italy and Malta and um and in the opera house which is quite special to me is for a number of reasons it's special but my mum's side of the family actually came to Australia from England um because my grandfather was an engineer who worked on the opera house like that's why they came here and that's why I exist so (laughs) doing like an Italian opera like dance contract at the Sydney opera house was just like I felt so emotional each night, even even the like the twenty fifth show. We just did so many, even after so many of a like a three hour piece. It go, it's you know, it's so long. It's I felt I I did let it affect me emotionally and soak it in, like you were saying, so let it soak in. And that that memory is what pushes me forward in between jobs, you know, in between contracts or in between projects that's that's the thing that I'm like no it does happen so even though that's not a um the actual dancing in that wasn't a lot because it was about you know about the singing the dancing is sort of in the background and I've had projects where I've been really dancing somehow that one is probably the one that um is the closest to my heart in some ways because it was my childhood dream like Pepper was saying it was that that dream you know yeah one of the highlights for me was um, performing at the Bolshoi Theatre in Russia. 
that was pretty amazing because um, that was when I was in uh, a major flamenco dance company, Rafael Amargo. He's um, probably, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Joaquin Cortes, who was a big sensation in the 90s. Well, Rafael Amargo was um, almost as big as a sensation as, as him in the 2000s. And I spent about six years in that company and we travelled all over the world. But that was one of the most special highlights because um, just that theatre and all the history and the, the Bolshoi dancers um, actually came to, to see us and then they came to our, our you know, backstage and gave us flowers and <laughs> we just felt, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was just really special. The King of Spain was there and it was actually an international film festival in Russia. So there was all sorts of people. Even Julio Iglesias was there. Um, <laughs> Gina Lola Brigida, Sylvester Stallone. We were staying in the same hotel. I actually came down in the lift with Gina Lola Bridget. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a really, really special, special performance, that one. I think even though it was, you know, within a company, it wasn't with my own work, um, it, it was just special because of the, the, the importance of that theatre, the history behind it, and then all the, all the very important people that were there in, as, as audience and, and everything that was probably one of the highlights but then I guess with my work when I started making my own work with Compañía Pepa Molina my my dance company I guess the recognition of getting into major festivals with your own production performing in flamenco festivals like the Milan Flamenco Festival theatres around Spain that were programming my work that you know alongside major flamenco artists and, and you know, major theatre companies and things like that. That that was probably a moment for me where I thought, oh, all this hard work is really paying off, you know, because um, for me, uh, you know, taking that step, starting my own company was so much hard work because, uh, of course, you have to wear so many hats, not only as a choreographer, as a performer, as a director, but also... Um, as your own agent and being there with all the office work, which you absolutely have to do if you want to get anywhere in, you know, in this world. <laughs> yeah, I actually, probably the highlight of my artistic life was also performing at the Opera House. And it's, I think it's just, you grow up seeing it everywhere on postcards. You learn about it at school. Just going inside was amazing. But then going inside through a stage door, at something else. So Peppa, I think you've brought up hard work a couple of times and so it seems very important to your, um, let's say your creative philosophy. Um, but I'm also aware that hard work also needs to be balanced by those beautiful moments of inspiration. And so how do you balance that? And when you come to think, okay, I want to do a major and original dance work this year, what does your creative process look like? Well, look, I, my, um, my motto, which isn't actually mine, um, it's actually Picasso's. The formula for success for an artist should be 90, 99% hard work and 1% inspiration. Um, when I saw that, I just totally identified because 
you know, a lot of the time you might have just performed in this major festival or even in a, you know, a small theatre and then you've got to wake up in the morning and go back into the studio and you've got to keep on keeping on. You know, you can't just dawdle over your last little success or your last performance and you just have to put your shoes back on and keep on working and, and you know, go for the next opportunity or if there's not an opportunity, you have to create it and actually your technique and, 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 and your expression can't actually just wait for the next opportunity. You have to be in shape, et cetera, et cetera. So for me it was like I could really, really understand it. And I think as a, as a dancer, inspiration has to find you while you're at work. You can't wait for inspiration to, to come and get you. It does happen. You know, we've all had moments, you might be in bed. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I come up with steps in bed, I'm sure, Eliza. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> before I'm sleeping, just yeah. before I'm sleeping. Best ideas I have all day. That's right. So you just got to have a pen and paper with you or whatever and write them down because you never know. Or you might be walking and, you know, walking down the street and then you'll think, oh, this this might work or that might happen, but you can't rely on that. You sort of have to have that consistency in your in your discipline because um, it's a very disciplined art form, dance, and um, you rely a lot on your body. You know, your body is your instrument; it's your tool. So it has to be number one, your temple. You have to respect it, and for your your mind and your ideas to flow, I think your body has to be in shape, and you know, you have to be in tune with it. Yeah, in terms of like creativity striking, I used to use uh, voice memos on my phone when I was half asleep to remember those ideas. Um, So yeah, thank you for that, Pepper. Um, Eliza, could you share with us what your creative process typically looks like? Um, Okay, my my creative process, I think is so, um, it changes so much. It's changed a lot recently, I think, because since coronavirus. Not that we're going to go there now, but um, all a lot has had to change recently. But I suppose with the with the works I've created in the in the recent sort of past, um, last year I had my first full length work performed, Old Life, Dead Life, which was performed by um, an ensemble that I sort of grouped together with some of my friends from full-time training that are all um, based around Sydney and Western Sydney and a lot of them are from interstate or New Zealand but they they're living in the sort of Sydney proximity at the moment so there were sort of three ways my choreography their choreography and then the improvisation so there was a lot of they were the sort of like choreographic processes and then the content of the work was uh, really looking at nature and looking at evolution trying to appreciate the speed of evolution how slow it is it's so slow that we can't even we can't even get our heads around it it's so slow but we we wanted to capture time in this way with really slow um, moments and then also fast moments someone described it to me as a highlights reel of evolution you know when you get taught evolution you get taught a highlights reel like dinosaurs dinosaurs go down then we have these animals arising like like this sort of thing so we we tried to have excitement in it as well but we we definitely wanted to catch time in that and I guess um yeah the process was very mixed and same with the the music for the piece as well was created by Mason Perenchik who is also a dancer in the group but he he creates our music and 
that was also a mixed process. Sometimes I we would consolidate the choreography and film it and he would go home and make the music watching the film to go on top and other times he would bring in music and then we would work with it and other times it was just a constant conversation where he'd bring in samples then we'd sample some Cory and it would just go back and forth and then and then he tied it all together at the end. I think most people are familiar with the idea that um, if something's not working, it's foolish to keep doing it in the same way. But it's important as artists to remember that even if a process is working really well, sometimes the best results happen when you are willing to change your creative process. And so it's cool to hear that you had not one, but at least three different processes because... Um, that's really good for mm. creative And there, there was also the, the fourth process is accidents, I think, too, that I just, as you were saying that, I just, that just took me back to a moment when we had, we had a residency and we'd been working for two and a half weeks for March Dance Festival. We had a, a studio space at Erskineville Town Hall and I bought all the dancers little, like a bouquet of flowers, which I always give them at the end of the residency. And I bought all these flowers and then we got into the studio and we were like, this piece is about nature. Let's like throw the flowers and like have them on the ground while we do the piece. And then the whole piece actually changed and they had these stems of leaves, like small branches and stuff. And there was all this choreography with them, piling them together, making them like shrubs that moved along the stage or making them, making the dancers sort of into little creatures that like collect, like make a nest out of their twigs and their leaves and stuff and it just then then the whole thing changed from this accident of of me getting them these 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 flowers to give them and then going no you don't get to have them we're going to use them (laughs) and it's so important to remember that art isn't created like in in a laboratory in test tubes it's created when humans and ideas and accidents and play and seriousness collide um Definitely, yeah. Okay, so speaking a little bit more about Western Sydney, what role has Western Sydney played in your kind of career tapestry and what's your favourite thing about Western Sydney? Well, actually, um, for me, it was, you know, coming back obviously from being so many years away, um, coming back to Australia and I'd never actually lived in Western Sydney. I grew up in eastern suburbs. I grew up in, in Redfern, then Ramwick, and um, in my teenage years in Inner West. It was sort of discovering another part of Sydney which I hadn't really been to that much by deciding to move here and also realising that even though it was like a really huge change to my life, it actually inspired my work. So my my first work when I came back was Bush Bailando and it was about the bush that was present where I was living in Western Sydney. I was surrounded by bush. It was a turning point, I guess, um, in my career and, you know, to realise that I can actually make meaningful work um, being far away from from the home of flamenco, which is Spain, obviously. I think for me 
flamenco travels inside of me. Uh, it's a part of me, it's a part of my life. So I think that landscape, that Western Sydney landscape gives you, I guess, it's another environment, it's another perspective on what you are, what what your work can become and and how it can be viewed or seen, you know. And, and I think for me Western Sydney is really important. You know, it's it's, I guess, really my artistic home now. <laughs> it's a beautiful place, especially a very multicultural place very welcoming place and I think that one of the best things that this podcast can actually do is show people that Western Sydney is the heart of Sydney's creativity and we're seeing that more and more in music and in poetry and in dance now as well with form being based in Parramatta. So um, Eliza your relationship with Western Sydney what's that been like? Um, I think what you were saying about um, Western Sydney being a very multicultural place is why I think it's so incredible is because um, it's so exciting. You can go and you'll see you see hundreds of different things. You go, you go around the whole world when you go around Western Sydney. There's just everything and, and really authentic versions, really authentic groups like that are practising, like, of course, Pepper's School, really like authentic flamenco school, you know, like, lear- like learning, learning from the source. Absolutely. And so let's say there's a 17-year-old young woman from Western Sydney at home and she's listening to this and she's full of drive and passion and energy and ideas and she wants to get into dance, maybe flamenco, and she's not sure what her first couple of steps should be. So what advice would you give to her? (laughs) Uh, Well, it depends what you really want to get out of flamenco if you want it if you want to do it as a hobby or if you're really inclined to to learn a little bit more in depth about the art form um i run my um dance school out of Parramatta actually so we're we're based in Parramatta and as well um in Lidcombe we have an annual performance at a professional theater at the end of the year where i I think it's important to give your students the opportunity to perform live with live music as flamenco is a a live art form and really important to experience that with professional musicians. I guess we're a community, you know. There's a real um, honest, um, an honesty there with with how I I, I like to teach. I like to work people very hard, as Eliza knows. So you don't come to a flamenco class and walk out without sweating. No, you work up a good sweat (laughs) and you go away with a smile, certainly. All art forms are universal because they're about what we feel and what we know and what we hope for, and I love that. It's one of my favourite things about art. So, Eliza, what advice would you give? Um, My advice would be to dance around in your room all the time because... um, I think I think that's maybe um, one of the places where you find yourself as, as your own dancer. I think there's something so great about like improvising and for me improvising alone is somewhere where I really found myself and then and then practicing alone as well. But also no matter how many classes you can attend or, or whatever opportunities you have, you even if it's one, you can go home and you can practice it all day. And that's the thing that's um, so special. Like, and, and during this, this period in time as well, it's become really uh, apparent to me how important that is. I, we went online, like Pepper's classes went online and I went to Bunnings and got a 
one meter squared piece of plywood <laughs> so that I could <laughs> practice properly because our first virtual lesson I, I didn't sort it out and so I just had socks and I was just in my room and and it just wasn't it wasn't the same I wanted to wear my shoes and I wanted to do it properly I knew that this was probably quite going to be quite a long time and so I invested in that that I'm looking at it right now I, mean, I invested in that square of wood and it was just the best thing because it's such a it's such an escape and it's such a it's such a good place to be so I think um my advice is also to to go to classes and then to um actually like bring them with you home I think that's maybe the thing is like bring them bring them with you and work with them and play with them and see see what your drive is that's something that's come to me maybe in in the past two or three years more so is like what what do I actually love about dance you know like now that I'm an adult (laughs) no um but growing up growing up dancing you know I was just happy to do anything anyone told me to do in dance you know I just loved it so much but now as like transitioning into a professional artist there is there is a question you have to have of why am I doing it and what what am I doing what do I like doing what do I think is valuable to do and just bring that bring that home with you and then yeah, someone can teach you a one workshop or one class and you can remember it for your whole life. So just treasure the information. Yeah. There's a quote I love that he who has a wire to live for can bear almost any how. And that idea of staying super connected to a very important reason why you do what you do and why you love doing what you do. Um, again, that's one of those things that keeps you going in one of the periods that isn't so great. So let's talk about your future works. I know that you've both got amazing projects that you're working on. Um, So could you tell us what you're working on, why it's important to you and when it's set to come out and how we can attend because I know I would love to attend. We should be almost ready to um, premiere. It was was, um, at Riverside in the month of May on the 24th. 21st, 21st to 23rd of May. So right now I would be in the studio with my international team and my national artists polishing everything and getting everything last minute up to scratch and ready for, you know, for the big premiere, which, you know, we've been, I've been working on, I, I guess I've been working on perceptions for almost two years. So the, the idea came about in wanting to, to connect with, with um, the the community, the the Spanish speaking community in Western Sydney, you know about their 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 perceptions and their lives. So um, I had I was awarded um, the Without Borders residency by um, Blacktown Art Centre, and I did that at um, Residential Gardens, which is the only Spanish speaking nursing home in Australia. And so I took away all of those recordings and and conversations, and I started to to think about how we perceive the art form and how other people perceive it and also what the tradition means and what our culture means and why there's so many clichés as well linked to to this art form, to flamenco. You know, there's a lot of taboos and a lot of things that I guess were not really understood or interesting, like, you know, the colour yellow, why is it such bad luck or um, there's a certain genre, La Petenera, which, you know, the gypsies don't want to play that because uh, a century ago there was a, a flamenco singer that died on stage singing it. 
things things like that that are quite deep rooted deep rooted in the art form in in the tradition of the art form I guess because it's passed on from one generation to the other you know and that's that's what I guess perceptions is all about So, Eliza, what are you currently working on? I'm currently working on my second big work uh, called Bat Lake. And, yeah, this work is about bats, um, which for me is super exciting. I love bats. I love I love nature so much and animals. And I just got obsessed with them. Like I, I study part-time and I was studying biology and was learning about pollination and, and bat pollination and things and then I found all these amazing images of bats being caught in the dark like nighttime photos uh like flash photos on bats and they look so shocked and they're like in a flower covered in pollen or something and they're just it was just so theatrical and I just I just it stuck with me um and then so we started our first residency with my group Sydney Experimental Arts Ensemble we um our first residency was at Campbelltown Arts Centre at the moment, we've been doing Zoom calls with the group of dancers and and Mason, the composer, and um and, and we we laugh. We, we they say it's like biology lessons with Eliza, sort of thing. Like they come online, we talk a bit, we talk about bats, and I show them things that I'm interested in, and then that's pretty much it. Like we're not generating movement at the moment uh, from a distance, but we're we're all like thinking about bats a lot, so that when we get in the studio, hopefully. They could, we can just create that world like it's it's quite familiar. I want it to be familiar when we finally get into the studio. So that's the current work. It's going to be dark. It's sort of gothic, um, bats, vampires, dragons. It's sort of like mythical, mythical, and I don't know. It's just nighttime. It's like going to be a I think quite a dark dark work in some ways. Yeah. I love that both of you have taken time to look into the very specific things that mean a lot to you and use your art form to make them accessible to everyone else because I wouldn't have um, heard all these amazing things about bats or about perceptions and Spanish-speaking nursing homes otherwise. And so your, your work does have a great power and a great impact. There's a beautiful quote that I read once and it's, Blessed are those who see beautiful things in humble places where others see nothing. And I think one of the best thing about um, being creative is the attention to detail that it brings and that constantly looking for beauty everywhere. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting both of you and listening to both of you. And I've learned so much that I'm sure I could never have learned anywhere else. 
So thank you, Peppa, and thank you, Eliza. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, You've been Paula, listening to and thank Formidables, you, Eliza, too. <laughs> a podcast series commissioned and produced by Form Dance Projects. We thank Riverside Theatres, Diversity Arts and Information Cultural Exchange for their partnership, and we thank the Crown Resort, the Packer Foundation, and Create New South Wales for making this possible. I hope you all feel inspired and excited. Stay creative and stay tuned.